1: Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, Facebook.com slash radio Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. Uh, thank you so much to Paul for sending along a one-time donation. Through support.greatdetectives.net. You can also use the Zell app to send a box 13 at greatdetectives.net. Or by mail to Adam Graham, P.O. Box 15913, Boise, Idaho 83715. And I also want to welcome aboard our latest Patreon supporters. Thank you to Jennifer uh, coming on at the Detective Sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. And to Rhonda coming aboard at the Shamus level of $4.00 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support. And you can become one of our Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. Just go to patreon.greatdetectives.net. Well, now we're going to get into the series indictment. Uh, I'm not going to be able to really give you specific dates, uh, just because this is another series where the actual air dates are sparse. I do have a pretty good guideline for... Uh, when the series aired, and it had a good run over uh, CBS. Uh, It aired between uh, January of 1956 and January of 1959, so just about three years on the air. Nat Pullen stars in the series, which is the clue that this was not only set in New York, but also recorded there as well as uh, Nat Poland was a New York-based actor who did a lot of soap opera work, which we'll talk a little bit more about Mr. Pollan after the uh, program. Indictment follows the process that the New York assistant district attorney had to go through in order to obtain an indictment. So let's go ahead and we will take a listen to the first episode we have here, and this is The Witness Who Wasn't. Indictment a
2: formal written charge of crime as the basis for trial of the accused.
3: (laughs) Indictment.
2: The drama you're about to hear is from New York City and is based on stories of the criminal law with authentic procedures as detailed by Eliezer Lipsky, former assistant district attorney of New York. It is the assistant district attorney who directs criminal investigations, assembles facts and witnesses, builds
3: the case to a just indictment.
2: McCormick. McCormick?
4: This is Norman Brapson.
2: Make it fast, Brabson. I'm on a case. Maybe... I am a case.
4: Come and pick me
2: up. You've been drinking.
4: <laughs> sure. But wouldn't you no. build one, down if you just killed a woman? Drinking? Sure. Drunk. Ma.
2: You killed a woman? Dead. Brabson, where are you? I'll call Homicide. Or, since you apparently are in the mood to turn yourself in, will you go to the nearest precinct? Look, now, hold it a second. Tom, pick up the other line, get the switchboard out, stall this maniac, get me a trace. Sure, Ed. You don't have listen, to listen. try. To trace
5: me. Mr. It McCormick got a wild have... one on 239. Keep uh, That's right. Yes. Never mind, Tom. Oh, sorry, Mr. McCormick says skip it.
4: I'll talk, but only to you. Hmm. <laughs> You couldn't make anything stick the last time. I want to give you a crack at me again. That same detective with you, what's his name? Muscle
2: Tom Russo. Where are you, Bratson? Where are you calling from?
4: Bring the flatfoot along. I'll
2: buy you both a drink. Bratson, where are you? No cops, none
4: of those homicide jockeys. But I'll give you a complete confession. To call me
2: Russo, and I'll be alone. Where Are you calling from
4: drugstore up the street? But I'll be at my place.
2: You uh, remember it from the last
4: time, don't you? Mm
2: -hmm. Be there. Your place. Who'd you kill? My wife? Who else? You think I'm going to go
4: around shooting up strangers?
2: All right. All right, Brabson, put the drink down. Well,
4: what's the door now? I know my business, Brabson.
2: Oh, where is she? Is a gag?
4: On the other side of that sofa in front of the fireplace.
2: Mmm. You did a good job. Okay, Tom, call the medical examiner.
4: And... You do don't touch the phone. More fingerprints? That's right. And look, that one's her glass. That one's his. And over there in the ashtray, the, the filter tips are hers, the regular butts are...
2: his. Yes. Whose? Who else? Man, I caught a whoop. In other words, you're pleading manslaughter right from the start, is
4: that it? Look, McCormick, I came in. I mean, I heard them talking from the outside, so I took
2: a handkerchief to the door doorknob and I came in and... And they were wait a minute, wait a minute. Take it from the top. Did you know the man? Did you know she'd been seeing him?
4: Oh, I knew she was seeing somebody. (laughs) Seeing, that's a gentleman's way of putting it. Sure. Sure.
2: So you burst in on them. You caught them in flagrantly delicto. Your husbandly rage rose to the surface. And instead of killing the dastardly invader of the sanctity of your marriage, your fifth marriage, you killed her. The unwritten law. All right, all right. Come down off
4: it, McCormick. Believe it or not, that's exactly how it was. I came in. All
2: right. We'll go into it downtown. But I choose to not. And when you're booked and indicted, it's going to be for murder one. Now, wait a minute. Detective Russo, call communications and have them notify all commands. All right. You might tell them to notify the chief inspector and hey. get the precinct to send a uniformed man to take the aided case till the lab men show up. I can show you ever... Downtown, what? huh? Just one thing. When did all this happen? I can tell you that, Mr. McCormick. Our watch stopped at 11.30. Yes,
4: that's right. It was just 11.30. The news was coming out. His fingerprints might even be on the dial. You didn't answer me before. Whose... Let's go, downtown.
2: Where was the gun? I told you, in the bedroom. So you caught them on the couch? You walked into the bedroom? Deliberately got the gun? Deliberately came back? Deliberately shot? Her... I told you that. I told you that.
4: But deliberately. The gun, sure. Deliberately back into the living room. I admit that. I volunteered that. But only to throw a scare in it to cut it out. But we got into the screaming match. You said things. I
2: said things. And
4: in the heat of anger, I pulled the trigger. The
2: heat of anger. That's a lovely phrase. Where'd you read that and memorize it? Look... McCormick, you know a lot about me. I
5: know a lot more than I can prove in the court of law, too. All right, so I'm a
4: playboy, so I'm the man with the little black book. I love him and marry him and leave him. All, all right. right. This one I...
2: I loved. Sure. You, lunch. All right, all this right.
4: This one I
2: love. Um, give him a cigarette.
5: Come on. Snap out of it.
2: Thanks. All right, so you loved her. When did you first discover she was carrying on? Oh, you won't believe this. No, that's the way to answer a question. Why don't you try me?
4: (laughs) The phone bills. Me, the son of the Copper King, squawking about phone bills. Believe it, a rich man likes to know where the money goes. Get I... to it. Get to it. All right, I checked a couple of months' bills. Toll calls to everywhere. Florida, Paris, Hollywood, Vegas. And Rye. Rye, New York? That's right. Who do I know on Rye? Who did I call in Rye? I check, I think... Well, I find I couldn't have called Rye those dates. Oh, wait, because... wait, wait. The dates of the toll calls? That's right. I was... Well, I, I, I was see myself. I'll bet. The others were for fun. This one I love. Get to it. All right. I, I call the number. Uh, woman answers. Hello? I give it the who is this, please, and she gives it the this is Mrs. D. Well, that's it. Sorry. Our number. Mrs. who? Doesn't take me long to find him. One of the gray flannel boys. I find him, I watch him, I trace him to my place every couple of nights, every couple of weeks, and just to make Wait a minute, wait a minute, who is he? I call his home while he's playing house in mine. And what does Mrs. Loverman say? I'm sorry, Mr. Loverman is busy at his office tonight. And what did you say? Well, I... I have to admit it sooner or later. Go ahead. I called just tonight. Well, it's four a.m. now, so I guess you'd say last night. Just to make sure, I knew he was in there. I, I called his home, and when his wife gave me the busy of the office bit, I said, "That's what you think." That's why I didn't want you to touch the phone. I figured he called from my place, and the prince. What's his hear? name? Come on, come on. No, nothing against him, though I admit I could have killed him if he'd been there when things got hot. When did he leave? I I came in like a 11.25. I sized it up. I went for the gun. When I came out of the bedroom, he was gone. Say, 11.26, 7... Yes, Ronder. Give a take no in a minute either way. The name. Uh-uh. How stupid can you be? Clark McCormick, I've given you a confession. Calling a stenographer. Line up the factors. I've
2: told them to you. And I'll sign a it. A confession to manslaughter. Unpremeditated murder. Which it was. Which you can't prove unless you can prove there was a man in your apartment when you came home. A man with your wife. She's dead. She can't prove it. The place is lousy with fingerprints, the glasses, the
4: doorknob. He grabbed the doorknob on the way out. Oh, so you saw him run out. I came out of the bedroom with a gun and I heard him turn the doorknob. The fingerprints,
2: if they come up, the prints could be from the last time. Don't tell me about the glasses, the cigarette butts, the phone calls, the rest of the hogwash you've been handing out.
4: Hogwash? Not
6: tell
2: me his name. His name could mean the difference between your getting off and going to the chair, stupid... Look, if I'd have thought you'd try to pin murder in the first degree
4: on me, I'd never have called you. I'd have gotten lost. You'd never have found me. I'd pack it in here and disappear as far away as a bad word could take me. I called you, remember? I called you! What was his name? He was there. I tell you, he was there.
2: He better have been, or you're dead. All right, Tom, we'll work from the prince. And this lying snake's phone bills. And he better have been there.
3: Get the picture. Are you taking a high school or college correspondence course through Yusafi? Or are you planning to in the near future? If you are then this announcement is for you. Several courses offered by USAFI may now be studied two different ways at the same time. Confusing? Not at all. The first method of study is through the regular correspondence course. The second is by means of USAFI's telecourses, or courses on film. That's right. You can attend classes in your own recreation room, library, or any other building in which a standard 16-millimeter projector can be set up to run the film. These courses are being distributed for the use of correspondence students who have no teachers available, or whose teachers wish to use the films as additional teaching material. The half-hour classes vary in number from 12 to 20, depending on the subject. Why not take advantage of these films to increase your knowledge and understanding? Ask your education officer for details, then enroll with USAPI and let a telecourse be your guide.
6: Mr. McClay, uh, please sit down. How did you find out? How did you find out? Phone bills.
5: You, uh, you did call from the Brabson house, didn't you? Stupidly. Yeah. The whole thing was, I'm trying to point out the fact that you're not in any way a suspect. Brabson's confessed to the killing. Murderer.
2: Murderer. No, no.
5: Manslaughter is the case she's trying to make out. In the heat of jealousy, anger, he says he could have killed you. That's
6: how far he went. Killed me. Mm -hmm. Killed me when? When you ran out of the apartment. Who ran? I let myself out. You did call your wife that night. And told her I'd be home at... That was clever.
5: You never denied you
6: were there that night. I was there. But not when he came in. Man, he must have been watching from across the street. The fire escape that... The closet, his car, I don't know, but I never saw him come in and he never saw me go out.
5: You're telling me that you weren't there when he came in. He had no cause to get so spontaneously angry and kill her unpremeditatedly.
6: I don't understand your legal mumbo-jumbo.
5: Mr. McCormick doesn't believe the story. He needs you to prove Brabson killed his wife deliberately. It's the difference between manslaughter and Slap on the wrist. Sure, sure, the unwritten law. But he never saw us together. And murder one. The chair. Mister McClay, you better come downtown with me. Am I am I under arrest? Am I a suspect? What? No. No, you you're the important witness, or non-witness, a witness who wasn't there.
2: Mr. McLean, can you prove you weren't there? Weren't there when? When? I prefer not to tell you. You tell us when you left the apartment. No later
6: than 11.20. if that late. 11.15 would be too early, but 11,
2: 11.18 would be closer. Prove it.
6: I caught the 1135.
2: Out of Grand Central, your train home? That's right.
6: That night I caught the 1135. Mm-hmm. If I missed the 1135, my next train is the 1205, and the next after that is the milk train. But I made the
2: 1135. You're saying, I gather, you can't make it from the Brapson apartment, including the elevator, finding a taxi, reaching Grand Central, going through it to the track. Track
6: 13, farthest away from the entrance. All right. All right, What? We'll check the time out. All right, all right, but check it my way. Allow yourself five minutes for contingencies, the way every commuter learns to do when it's a question of that last train. Why contingencies? Because all of your taxis are working the theater district and the nightclub district that time, and it, it's hard to find a cruiser way up on the avenue at that hour. And when you've got a wife who... Uh, a suspicious wife who's heard the... have to stay late at the office story for years... Even though she had to move to the country, she got you into the rat race. She asks you who you're married to, her or your job, and then keeps you grinding your brains to powder so you can keep the house and the kids and the mortgage and the lawnmower and the second car and the country club. When you've got that kind of a wife, you not only allow yourself five minutes, but you call her and you tell her you're taking the 1135 and you make the 1135.
2: Things aren't so good at home. Oh, don't worry. We'll. We'll stick it out. Three kids. For them, I can live it out with her. Mm-hmm. And she. She's a good mother for them. She'll live it out with me. Unless this makes the
6: balloon go up. Hmm? Upsets the apple cart, blows the deal.
2: Can you prove you took the 1135? You're the law.
6: The taxi driver, the conductor,
2: my wife, the neighbors who heard the
6: car come in, the taxi drivers at the station, ask anybody.
5: That's right, Mrs. McLean. The night of the 16th.
0: You mean... You mean the morning of the 17th?
5: Um, what's that? The
0: 1135 gets to the station at 12.07. Then there's a trip home that's 15 minutes if it isn't foggy. We frequently have fog in the valley.
5: Say, uh, 20 top?
0: Yes. So when Tom takes the 11.35, he's home latest 12.25 or 30.
5: Well, that night, the 16th, uh, he was home at 12.30. Huh? Can you, uh, well, can you give me definite proof of that, Mrs. McClay? Say, uh, lights in the neighbor's houses, uh, people who recognize the sound of his car. I mean a Porsche has a pretty distinctive motor.
0: No. No, I can't. I beg your pardon? He didn't make the 11.35 that night. He came home at three o'clock with the milk train. The next morning.
6: She's lying. I never knew she hated me enough to lie. Look, I came in at half past twelve and she said office. Huh? And we fought all night, but she's lying to get even with me. Somebody can prove she's lying.
2: No taxi driver identified you. The neighbors were all asleep. And the conductor couldn't pick you out of a lineup as a passenger on his train that but night. But huh?
6: I was on it. I was on it. Uh, what difference does it make now?
2: You're not a suspect. You don't have to prove anything. You don't understand. I'm trying to make you understand. There's no point in your trying to prove you weren't there. I can't use you. The defense will murder you. No. I have to go in there with a thin case. I'll go for murder one, sure. But I'll have to settle for manslaughter. I won't. She was my girl. She was his wife, but she was my girl.
6: Oh, all right, I've played around. Lots of women. But this one, this one I loved. I want to see him burned. You have to put me on the stand. I'll swear I was never there to believe me. Look, look, look. My commutation ticket's punched that night, the 16th. See, what good is it? Wait a minute.
2: Let me see that ticket. See? The date. Never mind the date. What was that conductor's name again? Okay, Brabson. Now listen to the man. I don't know him. Who's he? Mr. Weiss is a conductor. He works the 1135 from Grand Central.
7: No, no, I swing. That week I worked 1135. Not my regular train. That's why he didn't recognize me. To the
6: regular conductors, I'm a regular. Oh, God,
4: what's all this jibber-jabber?
7: Shut up,
6: shut up.
2: All right, Mr. Weiss, go on. Uh, about the ticket...
7: Well, uh, like I told Mr. McLean, I was sorry I didn't recognize him. But if I'd known he was using the regular competition ticket, which is dated, I mean, he rides on the 16th, we punched the 16th, you see. Yeah, uh, show him. Him? That man. Sure. See?
4: All right, all right. So you make confetti, so? It's a little heart. The punch makes a little heart-shaped hole. Huh? Very
7: sentimental. Yeah, I told my wife when he assigned me to punch.
2: Uh, Mr. Weiss, tell him what you told Mr. McLeay and me.
7: Uh, about the punch? That's right. Well, you don't find many people who know that, but every conductor's got his own punch. I mean, uh, me with a heart, another's an arrow, a half moon, a little zig, a little zag. Thousands, all different. Uh, look, Mr. McLeay's commutation ticket. Look at all them different punches. Oh, I'm proud. You
2: ought to be. Because there are only two punches like that in the whole system. One of them's in the railroad controller's office. The other in the conductor's possession. Oh, wait, McCormick. I never said you that. You said he... McLeay was in your apartment when you came in. That was what made you kill your wife, claim the unwritten law. But this conductor and no other conductor punched McLeay's ticket that same night on the 1135. All right, I... I I had the times wrong. It was earlier, sure. Sure, sure, go ahead. Change your story. Anything you like. Just tell me one thing. Why did you try it? Didn't you think he'd come forward and admit he'd had anything to do with her? Was that it? Come on. No. No, I'm not talking. Nothing. You'll talk. Detective Russo, show the other gentlemen out. We can talk to them later. Rapson, you'll talk now. And you'll burn. The story you just heard was drawn from New York City and based on stories of the criminal law, as detailed by Eliezer Lipsky, former assistant district attorney. The names of all persons and places were changed. Indictment is written by Alan Sloan, produced by Nathan Kroll, and directed by Paul Roberts. Nat Poland is starred as Edward McCormick. Jack Arthur is heard as Tom Russo. Also in the cast were Ian Martin, Mason Adams, Rebecca Sand... Bill Kramer. This is Stuart Metz, inviting you to listen next week at this same time for another
3: indictment.
1: Welcome back. Well, I enjoyed the episode. I really liked uh, the uh, detail. Uh, I thought it was pretty, cl- uh, pretty clever that uh, each of the people who stamped the tickets had a different stamp, so you could tell who had actually stamped it. I thought the investigation was good. Uh, it it was as thorough as you're going to get in 25 minutes, and. I I think in some ways it reminded me of Dragnet, but the uh, reactions of a lot of these people uh, rang very emotionally true, particularly with just the total messiness of all that was going on with all of these mixed up and messed up relationships. Now, I will go ahead and talk a little bit about Nat Pullen. Uh, Nat Pullen is probably best uh, known for his soap opera roles. Uh, And he was on, as the world turns, playing a doctor for 10 years. And then he was on One Life to Live uh, for 12 years. Uh, And so this was a period between 1956 and 1981. And essentially for uh, 23 of those 25 years... He was playing a a doctor on a soap opera. He did a fair amount of radio, though mostly it was in character roles. He did some uh, CBS uh, radio theater in the 70s, and he did have uh, one credit I found in the Internet Broadway database. So he's probably not the type of actor who would have been given a chance to star in a radio program earlier in the golden age of radio. But he certainly brought a lot of experience. Plus it uh, turns into a bit of a win for CBS uh, since after indictment started he was also available to appear on As the World Turns. And CBS, uh, as you go into the late 50s, early 60s really did like to uh, have a good cross-pollination between their... New York-based soap opera and their New York-based radio program. Just simpler for them all around. Now, I mentioned that this was not only recorded, uh, you know, set in New York, uh, but also recorded in New York. Uh, There were some series that were set in New York, but really recorded in Los Angeles. That was the case with uh, the first three seasons of Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator. Only the really first uh, few episodes of Broadway Is My Beat were actually recorded in New York. Uh, All of the episodes starring uh, Larry Thor were actually recorded in Los Angeles. So, indictment has the distinction of actually uh, being uh, recorded in New York as well as set there. All right, some listener comments and feedback now. And we start with Paul. Uh, Paul writes in, Thank you for your great programming and for making these exciting radio mysteries accessible. Well, thank you so much, Paul. Rhonda writes, this podcast is great. Thanks for the time and effort you put into it. And Jennifer writes, happy, a little belated birthday. Adam, thanks for continuing to provide such a great show. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer. I appreciate uh, your comment and for you becoming a Patreon supporter. And I do want to go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Jim and Rachel, Patreon supporters since March of 2016, currently supporting us at the Shamus level of $4 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support. And I do want to let you know we don't have that many episodes of uh, indictment. so in four weeks uh, from today, join us as we get into under arrest. That will be coming to you uh, on Saturday starting in 4 weeks and that will do it for today. Join us back here tomorrow a uh, public domain video theater. It's another police procedural, but this time set out on the West Coast in Los Angeles County as we get into Code 3 and then on Monday we'll be back with Box 13. And then uh, next Saturday, another episode of Indictment. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And become one of our friends on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off